This is the human side of healthcare, where we explore all aspects of today's ever-changing healthcare environment. Brought to you by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and featuring CEO Stephen Love with co-host Thomas Miller. Now, let's make healthcare human again. Welcome to the human side of healthcare. Delighted you could join us today. You know, we want to talk a little bit about pursuing a career in healthcare today. And we are delighted that we've got Perla Sanchez Perez with us. She's a registered nurse and she works in ICU at Parkland Health and Hospital System. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here um, and giving me this opportunity to um, talk to the community. You know, let's just start by talking a little bit about yourself. Where are you originally from and where did you go to nursing school? So I am originally from uh, Mexico. I was born and raised there in a small town called Pariguaro and moved to the United States at the age of six years old. Um, since then, have been here for all of my schooling and culminating my education with my nursing degree from the community college called Brookhaven College. And so that's where I did my nursing degree. So what prompted you to pursue a healthcare career? The main reason for me to go back, and um, I have a previous degree, my degree's in ba- a bachelor's in biology, but I wanted to do something different. So I went back to school and decided to go back to nursing because I've always been naturally a caretaker. I've always been uh, sort of like the big sister to my younger brothers, and I always wanted to be involved with the people, the community, and growing up, Parkland was one of those hospitals that helped my family being immigrants to the United States and seeing Parkland being able to help my dad and actually um, took him from a state of critical care condition where he was almost died and seeing that transition and being saved uh, changed my perspective on things and made me want to do the same thing for my community. So I'm assuming that's why you decided you wanted to work at Parkland. Absolutely. From that moment on, something inside me was just sparked, and I decided that if I became a nurse, that the place where I would work would be Parkland, and I have been now at Parkland for the past almost six years and loving every minute of it. It's obvious you're so compassionate about what you do. Can you explain to us some of the challenges you've experienced in the last 19 months, and likewise, what have been some of the rewards? Thank you so much for that compliment. Um, the most challenging situations that I've faced have definitely been this last almost year and a half, uh, working in the COVID unit, uh, working with some of the most critically ill patients and having to see them in their final phase. And by that, I mean these patients who were having to use a ventilator to breathe because their lungs were that damaged. Uh, Patients who, despite all the interventions that we possibly could use on them, when COVID hits them at their peak and their body starts to shut down, these are the patients that I saw day in and day out for the last year and a half. And unfortunately, that meant that a lot of these patients were terminally ill and their bodies were shutting down. Therefore, um, I experienced death on a daily basis. And having to see that 
really was very difficult, especially when you're working for 12, sometimes 16 hour shifts for sometimes five or six days straight because, you know, we wanted to pick up because we had a nursing shortage and having to hear children say goodbye to their parents via Zoom at the beginning, um, day in, day out, that was difficult because I am a mother as well. And it was hard to disconnect myself from that um, and hard not to empathize with those patients and their loved ones. That by far was one of the most difficult situations that I've had to face. So what's really been an upside that you've seen recently from what's happened in the past? The One of the most gratifying things that I've had to do now here recently is we have patients, we have an intervention called ECMO, and uh, that has been recent here at Parkland. Uh, and it's an intervention that we use to try to help these patients who otherwise would not have a chance at living anymore and where we've exhausted all these interventions and where they would otherwise pass away. To get to see those patients actually survive with this intervention, it's completely the opposite direction of where I was a, a year and a half ago, right? Where my patients, all we had was um, a ventilator and we would cling on to that and hope that they would survive versus now we have something called ECMO and it gives them the opportunity to probably survive COVID. That has been ultimately gratifying and um, I'm just like speechless when I see them at the end because um, you see your work uh, at its finest uh, at the end of the road and you actually get to see a positive outlook for these people. So you know, Perla, you're a registered nurse. But did you start your career in intensive care units? So when I began uh, as a nurse at Parkland Hospital back in 2016, I did not start out in the what is now known or what was known as a tactical care unit, also known as the COVID ICU. I initiated my career in the surgical trauma intensive care unit at Parkland Hospital. I worked there for about uh, almost three years three to four years. And then from there, I transitioned over to the COVID unit, the tactical care unit. They were in need of volunteers. And so at that point, I realized that COVID was going to be around, that we didn't know what COVID was. We, we knew very little about it. But I also knew that at Parkland, they were going to take great care of me. They're going to do everything to protect me as much as possible. And being in other, any other unit, I wasn't exactly sure of these patients that were going to come up had COVID or didn't. And given that I have a family, I have a daughter, um, and my parents were immunocompromised, I wanted to be able to protect them. And the only way that I could protect them was to go full deep in and say, you know what, I'm going to commit to the COVID ICU. And at that point, I made a big decision after speaking to my family we went ahead and uh, changed my garage and built it in about two weeks into a an apartment. It's a small little apartment for me. And I told my family that I was going to be away from them for the next, you know, possibly two or three months. And I didn't see my family. Um, and I worked in the COVID unit and that's all I did. And that was my, I put my 100% into that so that I could care for these patients at the same time protecting myself and protecting my family. And it was the best decision that I could have ever done. Uh, I gained so much insight with COVID and as well as so much self-gratification for me to know that we were fighting this pandemic. We might not have won the war completely, but 
we were there and we were helping as much as possible and we had some positive um, final effects at the end and some not. We won some battles, we lost them. But I was able to help my community and it helped um, anybody that I possibly could. And every day that I went back home um, to my garage, to my little bunker as I called it, I could sleep well knowing that I fought with the, the most that I possibly could and did the most that I possibly could for that day. And I could go home and sleep easily um, knowing that the next day I would do it again. We're listening to Perla Sanchez Perez, a COVID ICU nurse at Parkland Health and Hospital System. And why might you even take a look at healthcare as a career when we come back on the human side of healthcare? This is the human side of healthcare, where we feature healthcare's hottest topics and what our North Texas area hospitals are doing to make healthcare human again. Welcome back. Continuing our conversation with Perla Sanchez Perez, who is with Parkland Health and Hospital System, happens to be a COVID ICU nurse. She has seen it all. And one of the things that we have to wonder about these healthcare heroes like Perla, Perla, what has kept you going these past 18 months? My guiding principle throughout working at Parkland, I would have to say, would be just Something that my mom and my dad always ingrained in me was treat others the way you want to be treated with respect. And if you do that, that will come back around. And so when at Parkland, even though we do serve um, the underserved within our community at Parkland, um, I treat everybody the same. I treat everybody with respect. I advocate for my patients equally, knowing that we're all human beings. We all deserve equal treatment um, within the hospital. And knowing that some, in some way, shape, or form, you're making a difference in these people. You might not know them and their families directly, but you're making a difference. And those differences will impact them for the rest of their lives, just as those nurses that were taking care of my dad when we thought he was going to pass away truly impacted me and have shaped me and formed me into the person that I am now. Because given my experiences at Parkland, I was able to make a decision that has changed, that will change me for the rest of my life. Um, And I'm very grateful for that. You know, when you look at the social determinants of health, all the drivers of health, education, transportation, housing, et cetera, what do you think is the most important that you need to deal with first? For me, in my opinion, the most important one would be education. Specifically because if you have education, education is the key to everything. And speaking from experience, I come from a family where my dad, my father, my mom did not have the resources growing up um, to get an education. My dad finished. He did one year of school back in his home country, and that's all the education he could receive. My mom went to eighth grade, and that's all she could complete. But for me, it's made all the changes in the world to make all the difference in the world for me because given my education, I'm able to provide a different stand, standard of living for my family, for my daughter. Uh, it's definitely changed um, my direction in life. And I believe that if you are able to provide education for our community, it can change all those other factors that you have just named, including um, the healthcare aspect, because all those come in and tie in with that and If you have education, you have access to a lot of different other things. Many more doors will open for you. And it's a whole completely different world out there. And 
I'm the living proof, the living example of that because it has truly changed my life being a first year college graduate generation for my family. Based on your experience, why should people choose healthcare for a career? I believe people out there should choose healthcare. Um, and my advice to them if they do decide to do this would be that if you want and if you like to help people, if you want to make a difference in all generations of life, all walks of life within your community and potentially all over the world, if you want to strive for that, then definitely healthcare is the place to be. If you want a gratifying job, if you want to be able to go home and sleep well at night and know that you are truly making a difference in people's lives, healthcare is the way to go. So my advice for you would be to really fulfill that goal, really set your goal in mind, look at it and pick the right school that's right for you. Uh, set, Put all in all the factors that you need, put everything, um, prepare for it and go for it. And just, it, it's going to be hard sometimes because it's not easy, right? Nothing that is good is easy at times. And this is not going to be the exception, but stick it out, go with it. And along the way, you'll realize that you'll have a lot of fulfillment, a lot of learning and fulfillment for in your personal and professional life. So stick to it and it's very attainable. Perla, your attitude is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> I just have to oh, say, thank you. it is inspiring you. just to listen to you talk. <laughs> thank you. I, I will say, but I'm very passionate about this. Like I said, I've worked it during these COVID times. I worked it in the TCU, um, literally sometimes seven days straight. But I will say my passion and commitment for my community during this COVID times and, you know, coming from the background that I came from, which is um, not having a lot growing up and my parents having to work two jobs and we basically took care of ourselves from, you know, uh, six in the morning when they left and then came back at nine and we took care of ourselves uh, and knowing that that was the, that was the only option for us. So now given this opportunity that I have and knowing that my parents didn't have that opportunity and that I have it, there is no way that I'm not going to take advantage of it. There's there, you know, there's no way that if I have the resources to educate myself and not only educate myself, but also be an advocate from the community and educate them uh, in every aspect and possible way that I can, why wouldn't I do it? You know, I have the voice right now and um, it would be a disservice to the community for me not to do it. So yes, I'm very passionate. I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, it, it just makes a huge difference to be able to do this for my community. So why wouldn't you, if you can help, why would we not help? Why would we not continue to do what we do to make a difference in people's lives? Because honestly, that little girl back then who saw her dad being saved it made a big difference, as you can tell. It formed me, and it made me who I am today. So if I can do that for one little girl today or tomorrow, I would love to be that person who can make that difference. That's just awesome. You know, I want to ask both of you a question, Steve and Perla. What are the current staffing situations from each of your perspectives? You know, Thomas, when we look at um, a 19-county area, here in North Texas, and it mirrors the entire state of Texas, we have staffing shortages. And it's not just nursing. It's other allied health professionals. It's respiratory therapists, et cetera. Why is that? Well, our COVID numbers are coming down, and we're so thankful for that. But our overall occupancy is staying and remaining high. We're treating a lot of patients 
with non-COVID disorders, as hospitals have always done. And as a result, staffing has become critical and shortages have come into play. Another thing, Thomas, the state, to their credit, supplied us some supplemental staffing over the next four weeks. They're going to demobilize that and take that staffing away because it's time for them to uh, return those, uh, what we refer to as traveling staff or traveling nurses. So looking short-term and long-term in healthcare, we still are going to have critical staffing shortages, and we hope people will seriously consider healthcare as a career. Thank you. Great perspective, Steve. And Perla, what do you see from your perspective at Parkland? So at Parkland currently, we do have a nursing shortage. It's not uncommon. For example, to give you an example, tonight I will be charging in my unit. Um, as of now, we are two nurses short, which means that in turn I will have to take a patient and I will have to charge at the same time. Charging in itself is a task. Now having to charge and the unit taking care of the unit, making sure that everything runs smoothly, and if any problems arise, uh, tackling those issues um, with taking a patient is very, very difficult. But in these hard times, you have to do what you have to do. We just can't make nurses appear. We do have those traveling nurses um, on site, but we don't have that many of them. So at times, if somebody, if the regular staff calls in, well, then, you know, that's one less nurse. So definitely there continues to be a nursing shortage, a respiratory shortage. We see it. It's reflected within our units at all times. Nursing shortage is an issue, period, in general. Um, So definitely there is a lot of room for nurses um, who are coming out of school. Uh, We're always hiring. We're always looking to hire nurses. Uh, We cannot keep enough staff on board right now. Uh, As was mentioned earlier, um, with in Parkland in general, we have these patients who are sick, and then you add the COVID patients on top of that. That's what's creating the shortage. So we're unable to fully staff at times because we don't have the staff to um, fully staff our units. So for anybody looking forward uh, to going into nursing, job security is there for sure. And anybody who's graduating, you should have no issues finding a job because we are always looking for healthcare staff, um, at least at Parkland. And I know everywhere else because Parkland is definitely a reflection of a lot of uh, other hospitals within Texas. Um, even now, we, the traveling agencies are offering you know, thousands of dollars to hire nurses, and we are, have also lost a lot of our main core nurses that have gone to traveling because the financial aspect of it is very enticing. And so we are left with not only a shortage, but we're also bleeding out some of our nurses, our core nurses who've been at Parkland for years because of that financial reason. Um, so, you know, job security will be there for the next few years at least. One of our local healthcare heroes, Perla Sanchez Perez, a nurse serving people every day in the COVID ICU at Parkland Health and Hospital System. When we come back, we're going to turn the tables and talk about what happens when you get accidental poisoning at home. There is a resource, the Poison Center at Parkland, that we're going to tell you about next. Welcome back to the human side of healthcare 
where we explore how to take better care of your health so you can live a happier, healthier life. With DFW Hospital Council CEO Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller. Welcome back. You know that horrible moment when you realize one of your children has ingested some type of poison is something that we all need to learn about. There's a poison control resource available for you here in North Texas, and we're going to talk about it. We've got Liz Petty with us today. She's not only a master's of public health, but a public health educator, and is at the North Texas Poison Control Center located at Parkland Memorial Hospital. Liz, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You know, how do you define insecticide versus pesticide? Sure. So we use pesticide as a more general term. So pesticide is really anything that is used to kill, control, repel pests. And then if you want to specify, um, insecticides are specially made to kill, uh, to harm or repel an insect or maybe more than one insect. Um, and we use these things almost every day, right? It might be from, from air to roach sprays. Pesticides can include things like weed killers. Um, so a big broad term would be pesticides. And then if you want to get specific, we talk about insecticides. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So if you think in terms of just insecticides for a minute, how do you perceive that they work to do their job? Yeah, so we usually purchase insecticides because we want to get rid of an insect or multiple insects. And so by getting rid of them, we want to kill them. And so what a lot of insecticides do is they target the central nervous system, which means they kill those insects by paralyzing them, right? You usually see the bug and it's still kind of kicking its legs up and eventually it stops where we, or else we can find insecticides that just repel, so keep them away from your home or control them. What are the types of chemicals that you know about that are contained in insecticide? There are lots of different chemicals that are used. Um, in terms of what concerns us from a poison center perspective are usually uh, these chemicals that are used called either pyrethroids, like I mentioned earlier, or some that are called organophosphates, which are a little stronger and more harmful. And so in, in terms of chemicals, we usually like to divide them from pyrethroids and organophosphates. Those aren't the only ones, but those are the main ones that we can find in products that we can purchase either at a grocery store or places like Home Depot. What insecticides are safe, especially for pets outdoors, and which ones are particularly safe indoors? Yeah, so really, we don't really have any specific brands that we normally point to. The most important thing to look out in terms of using insecticides, whether it's outdoor or indoor, is to read the label. So most of the time, that label is going to say safe for indoor use only or safe for indoor and outdoor use. Or it might say, you know, when you use a product to keep your pets away for X amount of time. So the most important thing to do as far as when picking a product is to simply read the label. So when does insecticide poisoning occur? Yeah, so it's usually when we're actually using the products. Um, and you poisonings can occur through ingestion or inhalation or by touch. Um, and usually when we use the product incorrectly is when most poisonings happen. 
um, or if a child gets a hold of it unintentionally. So let's say you spray and you don't actually leave the area like the label mentioned and you breathe it in and maybe get some symptoms of dizziness or headache or vomiting or you leave use a product and you leave it out and here comes your child and gets a little hold of it, right? So poisonings usually occur accidentally, but they can all really be prevented when we put these products up or use them correctly. Are natural and organic insecticides safer to use? What we like to say is that natural or organic doesn't necessarily equal safe. There's a lot of natural things that aren't necessarily safe, right? Let's think of, for example, poison ivy. Poison ivy is natural, but it's not safe. Um, a lot of those products, they can be misleading. Why? Well, because they'll often term it as natural because they put some kind of essential oil on it. But in the label, there might be another added chemical. It might be a pyrethroid-based product. But because it contains a natural like product, it's advertised natural, there are essential oils that are not safe either. And so don't be um, fooled by the label. It's still take your precautions read the label, use proper protective equipment if the label calls for it. You know, I know we have the North Texas Poison Center, which we're very thankful for. But let's assume I'm at home, out in the yard, not wearing a mask properly, and I get insecticide on my face or in my eyes. What are things I can do at home before I call the Poison Control Center? Oh, great question. So there are some first aid steps you can actually take. So in cases where you inhale it, so in the example that you gave, the treatment that you want to take right away is to get away from the source. And if you're indoors, to go outdoors and get some fresh air. If you're spraying the product indoors, turn on the fan, open the windows, get some ventilation going in the area. So the first step is to get fresh air immediately. If you get it in your eyes, rinse your eyes out for at least 10 minutes before you call us. And then you call the poison center and we might say, you know what, you've already taken all the steps. Or we might say, you know what, 10 minutes isn't enough. Maybe you need to do it for an additional 5 or 10. Same for the skin. Rinse the skin off for at least 10 to 15 minutes and then call us. Um, And so those are first eight steps you can take. But if you don't remember any of that, no worries. Put the number in your phone and call us so we can tell you what to do right away. Let me give you that same example. Let's assume I accidentally ingested some insecticide and I began to have an immediate allergic reaction. Should I take Benadryl immediately or should I call the poison center first? In that scenario, first let me tell you what you should not do. In any case, you should never induce vomiting, right, to make yourself throw up. Because we still, we still hear of a lot of people who think that's the first thing you should do is try to get the poison out. But that actually can cause more harm than good. The second thing that we say is don't take anything unless you've called us first. So you definitely don't want to take Benadryl unless we've told you it's safe to do so. Um, and there's really other home remedies that we hear about, like people saying drink milk. Um, Well, no, you call us first to make sure we give you the correct steps. Now, if you are having a true medical emergency, like you can't breathe, um, then you call 911, right? Because we um, offer treatment over the phone, and if somebody can't breathe, there's not a whole lot we can do over the phone. So just keep in mind that we're a great resource, but for true medical emergencies, call 911. 
Let's assume I'm taking a prescribed medication by a physician and I begin to have an allergic reaction. Should I call the poison control center? Absolutely. You can always call the poison center. Now, you definitely want to get try to get in contact with your physician first who prescribed the medication. But if you're unable to get a hold of your prescription, we're definitely a great line of defense. Give us a call. Our specialists have lots of information on side effects of medications, and we may be able to tell you whether or not you should go to the doctor or emergency room. So usually a lot people who call the poison center save themselves a trip to the emergency room um, because often they think, oh, I need to go to the ER. No, just call us first and we'll tell you what to do. So if you are thinking you're having an allergic reaction and you can't get a hold of your physician, definitely give us a call. Let's assume I'm at home, get bitten by an insect or exposed to some type of insecticide and have a severe reaction that starts restricting my breathing. Shouldn't I call 911 first and then the poison center? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Once you've called 911, uh, you can definitely call us for additional support. Or often, um, people might not know is that if you call for an ambulance, they usually will call us, especially when it comes to bites and stings. Um, when you're en route to the hospital, EMS gives us a call so they know what to do. Um, so no worries. Um, at some point or another, poison control is going to get a call, whether it's from you, EMS, or even the doctor in the hospital. In all of these calls that are coming in, I'm assuming, especially when you think in terms of HIPAA and other things, all those calls are confidential, correct? Correct. So your call is strictly between you and the person who answers your phone call. And a lot of the accidents that happen, people are somewhat ashamed. Like they, you know, maybe they left a, the, we're talking about insecticides, maybe they left the product out and their small child got into it. And then maybe they might be ashamed to call and say, well, I wasn't watching over my child. I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. We know that accidents happen. So know that if you call the poison center, we're not, you know, going to call the police on you to get you in trouble or call Child Protective Services because most of those poisoning incidents are accidents. So keep that in mind when you're calling us. It's just completely um, non-judgmental help. You know, that's really good to know because I'm thinking in terms, and I'm going to pivot a little bit away from insecticides and poison control, but let's say you have a toddler that unfortunately got into a detergent and ate one of the pods that contains detergent that you use in laundry, that's certainly an appropriate call to the poison sooner, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. We get tons and tons of calls like that, especially with those detergent pods, because those tiny little packets are attractive. They smell really good. Um, they're often in a place where children can reach them. And we do get plenty of calls about children who ingest those. So that is definitely a poison control call. Absolutely. A lot of the time, your kid's going to take a bite out of it and spit it out because they realize, wow, it tastes gross. For a very small child, like a one-year-old, two-year-old whose taste buds are still developing, they might think that packet is the most delicious thing they've ever eaten. And so they might eat the whole packet or even more than one. And that situation can be dangerous pretty quick. Here's the phone number to put in your phone, 800-222-1222. The North Texas Poison Center from Parkland Health and Hospital System. From plants to bites to laundry detergent, they can help. We'll have that phone number in the next segment and more with Liz Petty.
covering the healthcare topics that matter most to North Texas. This is the human side of healthcare with DFW Hospital Council CEO Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller. Welcome back. We're talking to Liz Petty, who is a master's of public health and a public health educator from Parkland Health and Hospital System, talking about accidental poisonings. Their number again is 1-800-222-1222. It's a free service. Steve? One other question I was going to ask you. Let's assume you've prepared a good meal at home, you've eaten it, and then afterwards you start getting sick to the point you think, I've got food poisoning. Would that be an appropriate time to call the poison center? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, food poisoning often comes on pretty quickly after if you've eaten some undercooked um, or improperly prepped foods. And so definitely give us a call if you are concerned about food poisoning. Um, Now, do be careful with food poisoning because often, you know, you're vomiting or you have diarrhea and it can cause dehydration. So you want to make sure that, you know, drinking plenty of fluids um, to prevent dehydration, which is when it becomes pretty dangerous. I'm going to hand it off to Thomas so he can have some questions. But before I go, do you have any final thoughts or nuggets of knowledge for our listeners? Yeah, Steve. So I do want to make an important point that although we're talking about insecticides and pesticides and more chemical-like substances, it's important to know that most of our poisonings occur with medications, okay? Especially with small children, whether it's misuse of medications among adolescents or abusing them. Um, And of course, you might have heard of an opioid epidemic going on as well. Um, And so medication safety is very important keeping them up and out of reach of your children because not only um, do they look like candy, they often taste like candy. And for adolescents, because they often report that the first time they've abused a medication is from their parents' um, own medicine cabinet. Um, So medicine should be definitely be in the back of everyone's mind as far as where to store it and keeping it um, in a safe area. Liz, what chemicals are in most of these home-based pesticides? The most common chemical you'll find are called pyrethroids. Um, And when you get exposed to that chemical, because it does affect the central nervous system of insects, if you get it on your skin or accidentally ingested, you'll kind of get this like tingling and pin and needle sensation. In really severe cases, uh, seizures can happen. And Pesticide and insecticide poisonings that are not treated can be very harmful and even cause death. And a more serious chemical is organophosphate insecticides. But these you see generally used more in commercial settings like farms or outdoors. But you can find products at stores like Lowe's or Home Depot's with organophosphate. Now, these poisonings can be really dangerous. They can be absorbed through the body. Um, they can be inhaled. They can um, be in, you know, ingested. And these will cause more severe symptoms. And it'll cause you to sweat a lot. It kind of makes everything wet. So you sweat a lot. You tear up a lot. You start vomiting. You have diarrhea. Um, in really dangerous cases, your lungs can uh, fill with fluids. Um, seizures are a risk, and even death. So when we get calls about organophosphate poisonings, um, let's say from a hospital, we usually recommend healthcare providers to completely gear up 
because if the patient is vomiting, if they have diarrhea and they're exposed to those fluids, they can actually come in contact with those fluids and get poisoning themselves. So they can definitely be quite harmful. What about these companies that come spray your home? What chemicals are they using? Right. So it's important to always ask that serve that provider what kind of product they're using, right? Because you call them, they come out to your home and often we have no idea what they're using. And if you call poison control and you say, hey, somebody just came out and sprayed my house. Well, we have also no idea. Ask them for what product they're using because if they come and spray and all of a sudden you're having some kind of symptoms and you have documentation of what it is they sprayed, it really helps poison control, figure out what next steps to take. But they can be using both pyrethroids or organophosphates or other chemical products. So always, always ask what kind of product, because it's really hard for us to figure that out, right? It's kind of like a puzzle. Um, But oftentimes, these chemicals present themselves in unique ways. So often we can tell maybe what possible agent could be responsible for some those symptoms. Okay, now look, I eat organic and I try to minimize my own exposure to these kinds of things. But you just brought up an excellent point. And that is whenever you are going to be in an environment of exposure, find out what it is that they are using. Exactly. Yeah. Something not a lot of people think of. Um, And that just really reminds me of plants, right? Like when we're we're using often we want to decorate our yard and you plant some pretty flowers or bushes, right? We don't keep the labels as to what kind of plant that is. Um, so anytime you're putting something new in your home, keep those tags, keep those labels always as a reference because oftentimes we want to also spray our house, make sure to keep the weeds out, maybe use an herbicide and maybe your child got into the plant or something and you have no idea what kind of plant it is and you're trying to describe it to us. Well, there's, you know, thousands of plants. Keeping that label saves us a lot of time. Okay, now let's transfer to the office because I know offices get sprayed off hours on the weekends. You may not even know the vendor, much less who to call. Let's say you have a reaction. What do you do then? Yeah, so that gets a little tricky, right? But if you're all of a sudden having unusual symptoms, it could be, you know, usually you can blame it on a number and number of things. But I do want to say that most of the times in more like industrial settings, if you're visiting somewhere, you've been at home all day and you're visiting somewhere, sometimes I'll put a sign out that says this lawn has been treated, right? Now it's going to be really, really hard to find out what products they treat with. So unfortunately, that does become one of those instances where it can be tricky, but no worries. We have toxicologists who are experts at this. And so if at any point you're having symptoms and you go to the doctor or you call poison control, we'll consult with our toxicologists and we'll try to get it figured out for you. Do you think that these products are generally safe or do they cause, in some cases, cancer? Can they be carcinogenic? Yeah, so often those products are labeled as carcinogenic, right? And so um, when misused or used improperly, long-term, they definitely can have some health effects. Now, for as, for most of the time, for the, you know, synthetic insecticides or pesticides that we use are in a house, if you use it correctly, most of the time we don't consider it unsafe. But there are incidents. I mean, there are, if there are incidents where workers have used some of these products long-term and have had cancer in the long run from it. Um, I know there's lawsuits out there. Um, And so, yeah, unfortunately, because some of those health effects are long-term, usually work in the way where 
things don't get banned until something bad happens, right? Um, just because it takes so long for some of those health effects to really kick in, sadly. You know, Monsanto and Roundup have been in the news a lot. Yes, and, yes, and that's you, exactly what I was referring to. Okay, so you do hear a lot of Roundup-related issues. Yeah, absolutely. I always get calls about, you know, just concerns about those products. Um, but yeah, we've seen, you know, there's lawsuits and um, deaths that we've heard ha- happened. And, you know, if you drive by any farms, you probably have seen a crop duster at some point. What are we being exposed to at the grocery store? And what about organics? Yeah, so even organic products can contain some of these products because of rainwater that washes these products out, right? So this product is used, um, it rains, and that product kind of tends to stay in our soil, um, so even with products, you know, even with baby food, if you've heard, you know, just a couple of months ago, there was a big deal about heavy metals in baby food and foods like carrots and sweet potatoes, root-like vegetables. And, you know, the uh, FDA and EPA did limit the amount of heavy metals that we can find in our food and pesticides. But because of pollution and rainwater, a lot of that those things just tend to be in our soil for years and years and years and years. Unfortunately, sometimes unavoidable. Liz Petty from Parkland Health and Hospital System, a wealth of information. Want to give you that number one more time. 1-800-222-1222. Steve? Thanks for joining us today. You know, Thanksgiving is upon us. We hope you have a very enjoyable and safe Thanksgiving. But please remember, don't be complacent with COVID. It's popping throughout other states in the United States. It's all across Europe. Let's do everything we can to keep the virus out of Texas. Join us next Sunday for the Human Side of Healthcare.